He tied one world record and he set three new ones in 45 minutes. So he was doing something every 10 minutes. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. Powered by the Portland Gear Store and Guardian Games. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. And without further ado, your hosts, Ben and David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. And welcome, welcome to the Diamonds and Roses podcast. How are you today, Dave? Oh, I'm outstanding. Great. Hey, before we get started with our magnificent episode, um, I want to give you an update on something that I just recently uh, got doing for baseball here in Portland. Yeah, you were telling me a bit about that. What, what exactly is that? So just recently, they um, the Friends of Baseball put on this event here in uh, Portland, Oregon, and they had some artists put together some really cool, interesting things. What exactly were they doing renderings of? What was the point of this artistry? So the point of this artistry is is that you know they were really wanting to be a part of uh, this movement of baseball to Oregon. And as Mike Barrett told me, that these artists came to the Portland Diamond Project and said, hey, we want to just put together some renderings and we want to take some potential names of teams and give you ideas of what that may look like. Hmm. So, so they're trying to kind of put their influence, put their stamp on this whole thing. I, Ex- like, I like that. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I, I'm trying to work right now with the Friends of Baseball to set up an event to where we can uh, go in and record and talk to maybe one or two of these artists and, and figure out, well, where is it that they came up with their inspiration for, for their drawings and, and how they went about kind of figuring out the color and so on for them. This is a this is quite a process, you know. As we explore the likelihood possibility, and it becomes more of a reality. This this whole dream of baseball, Major League Baseball, coming to the Portland area, the, the finite details, and and just being part of that from the initial kind of the onset. Yeah, and then one of the one of the names that was being proposed is the Portland River Rats. Is that is that a slang term for a nutria? <laughs> is that what that is? I think so. Non-native species. Yes, it looks like a uh, a big rat on acid or something <laughs> this thing is huge steroid muskrat slightly smaller than a beaver but gnarly yeah. looking yeah yeah it it looks like it's a mad mighty mouse remember mighty mouse yeah, back in the is. day he yeah. just doesn't have a cape but he looks like a mad mighty that's, mouse that's no jerry from tom and jerry no. that's yeah that's an angry steroided out mouse it is he might be juiced up yeah test him <laughs> and then we got the portland swiss i like the color scheme with this one this is like forest green yeah, like a forest green, the, you know, the, the P is kind of like a really sharp P extending to the right, coming to a very point. And then you got this bird flying and, and making a you know soup. It's kind of reminds you like you're at the ocean. Are these... Are these images posted anywhere, Ben, where, where our yeah. listeners can access them? <laughs> Great that you bring that up. Actually, I did post these at the event while I was there. You can, It's on Instagram at drpodcastpdx on Instagram. As colorful and insightful as our descriptions are, I think uh, checking them out on our Instagram site would be fantastic. And just you, you get some great, great perspective on the variety of options that are out there. Yeah, and I'll be reposting these on Twitter, which is Podcast Roses. I'll also be you know reposting these on Instagram, which is dr podcast uh, pdx. So I'll be reposting these for people to okay. view. Exactly, like, all over the place. Yeah, exactly. Good. Um, in the next one, the one that I actually kind of liked was the Portland Steelheads. Yeah, definitely Northwest unique, right it, there. It exactly. You know, you and I were talking about the Portland Steelheads, and we had talked about what if they were to put it the, the Steelhead more into like a P or incorporate that into yeah. like the P of the Portland. And uh, you know, I showed you the the away. I think it's the 
the home no yeah the home hat the darker maroon kind of or not mm-hmm. darker maroon but dark navy blue hat that I yeah. bought I thought that was pretty cool hat yeah this would be of the of the few that I've seen this would be my kind of go-to mascot because it's so so specific to the Pacific Northwest you know the steelhead yeah and you know the color I just thinking about it now you know what the color reminds me of is the old Seattle Mariners yeah the old green, teal the old teal yeah. yeah and I like that yeah it is a cool color so uh, and then of course they got like the the navy dark navy blue kind of black for yeah. the away. You've got to check out these images. Yeah, they're, they're really good. And yeah. I'll, I'll post these. And then they have the Portland buds. Oh. I mean, we're not talking about like you know like legal substances here. Or well, and actually in Oregon it's legal, but it the rose buds. The, the rose buds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the buds of the roses or the flowers is what I, it's talking. I think about. that would be an interesting interesting mascot choice considering yeah. uh, Portland, Oregon. You know, and, we'll, and we'll leave it at that. This reminds me of like the night the candy that you can get at the uh, at, like movie theaters. Oh yeah, yeah. The, I, I don't remember. I it's, keep thinking about. it. I don't remember the name. It's a funky mix of like the fifties and seventies. You got to yeah. check this out. <laughs> it is. So the Portland butts, and then the Portland pines. A good alliterative ring to it. The P and the P. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and got got a retro nice nineteen seventies Portland Trailblazer style exactly. to it. Exactly. Yeah. Cool color configuration with some teal and forest green, and yeah. But with this one, I really like it in a way. But then in another way, I don't. I mean. You, you take a look at the uniform. They really kind of took it more, made it more retro, like the Houston Astros. Yeah, the Astros are the Padres unis from the from the early eighties. Yeah, too. yeah. And Horizon- but the, horizontal, big horizontal stripes at the bottom. Yeah. yeah, precisely. But the thing that I don't like is with this, and, and this is just my opinion. And and I feel like what they're trying to do is they're trying to incorporate the timbers and they're trying to incorporate the pl- the blazers. And they're like, yeah, you can kind of like this bastard child. Right, right. They're definitely trying to milk that a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, I, whereas I, yeah, I'm with you. They need to kind of stand out and, and brand themselves, so to speak. But I'm not taking away from this. I think that they they could kind of continue on with this. And, and do a little something a little bit different with for, it for initial designs. I think these are really great. Yeah, I mean they did a great job. It's just not yeah. my flavor. Yeah. So, and then the Californians. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you've got to check these out. Yeah, I, S- subtle messaging here, right? <laughs> this this is Miami Vice meets Oregon meets uh, Chips Patrol. Yes, <laughs> seriously, you got to see this stuff. All that keeps going through my mind is right. like at the beginning of Miami Vice yeah. that that song. I don't have it like right now, but yeah. that's all that keeps the going instrumental through my mind. opener. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but they so there was a there was a couple others. They had like a six total. Got some hat um, images. Yeah, and yeah. then the you know Portland Gear Store, our official sponsor, was there. Yeah. So I got that's to talk cool. with Marcus, the owner, and then I got to talk with Zach. You, you haven't got in there. You got to get in and check out some of their some of their gear. It's it's great stuff. Yeah. So and and we always rock. Portland gear stuff yep, out. So always. really appreciate what Marcus and Zach are, you know, doing for our podcast and doing for the people of Portland and around the world. Yep. Much, much love and much thanks to them. So let's, let's move on to our actual episode. You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, what we, what we saw in this past time. So um, let's move into some uh, older, uh, older stuff. And this is, this is a name that has come up once or maybe twice on previous podcasts. Yeah. It came up more specifically when we were talking about Vaughn street stadium. Right. And uh, that, that historical monument uh, and, and kind of owed, Ode, ode to baseball in, in the early 20th century. Yeah, and, and this person, you know, is a is a very historical figure in sports history, let alone U.S. history, but really uh, instrumental in sports history. Yeah, in, international 
of international significance, which yeah. makes the the Portland connection even that much cooler. Um, because we don't think about those those connections, and frankly, I don't think a lot of people really understand this. Exactly, and and when I was doing research on uh, baseball in Portland, just on its early inception, and and so on, you know, I was going down this wonder hole like Alice, and it was just everywhere. And I came across this name Jesse Owens, and I'm like, well, who's Jesse Owens? And uh, you know, Jesse Owens is an Olympic athlete. To my surprise, and he won four gold medals in the, like, the 1930 Olympics, some, somewhere around there. Yeah, the Berlin Olympics, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been documented, uh, documented time again. I mean, it, it's it, it's an international point in history, and there's a lot of symbolic cultural significance to his achievements over in Berlin. Exactly. So let, let's dive a little bit into uh, Jesse Owens. Let's, let's go a little bit into what his early years were. This is a topic I can get down with. Exactly. So Jesse was born on September 12th, 1913 in Oakville, Alabama. I'm from Alabama. Remember that? Yeah. I was born there. Yeah. He's the son of a sharecropper and grandson of slaves. Henry and Emma Owens, uh, he's the 10th and last child. There were six brothers and three sisters. Wow. It's a big family. Well, yeah, in those times, people had a lot of kids to help them work the land, essentially. It was yep. a financial decision. We need more uh, labor. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, R- rough times. Exactly. Rough times. Is, as a child, he was often sick from battles with chronic bronchial congestion and pneumonia. Which, which makes his... Uh, kind of significant athletic accomplishments and 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 recognition as one of the greatest athletes of all time even more impressive yeah exactly and, and there's a little bit here in a minute that i want to get to but before we get to that it, that'll make this even more impressive honestly um so at the age of nine he worked picking up to 100 pounds of cotton a day to help his family put food on the table and mm. as you just said you know it's like at that time they're having a very difficult time getting money especially being black and in the south yeah i mean you know, sharecropper system, post-reconstruction, just no opportunities. Yeah. So you did what you could to survive. And uh, so it says, by the time he turned nine, Jesse and his family moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and living in, while living in Oakville to him was one endless cycle of poverty, mm. hunger, and humiliation. Mm. And he said that school proved to be a challenge to him there. Um, it was during his childhood that an instructor believed his name was J.C. because of this thick southern accent. As such, he earned the nickname J.C. Okay, so this is after he moved to Ohio. Yes. He carried that, that deep south accent. Yeah. Gotcha. But prior to, so, but prior to moving to Ohio, uh, he was living in Alabama, his mom had noticed, a, or Jesse noticed a lump growing on his chest. Hmm. Eventually, after some time, the lump did not go away, but it got bigger. And so this is where I'm like, yeah, just wait till give me a second. Just wait. And I'll sh- tell you something. Um, his mother, Emma, a few nights after being informed of this lump, took it upon herself to remove it. Wow. Yeah. She, the, Her the, own sur- like surgery. Exactly. So they didn't have they didn't have the money. Of course, being a sharecropper, being black, being in the South, 1913 ish, you know, 19 early 1900s. And so she um didn't have they didn't have insurance so she had to operate on Jesse herself so it's that after removing the lump from his chest Jesse was left with a golf ball size hole wow can you imagine so I've got I've got the images right now yeah I'm thinking to myself okay son here's a stick 
bite onto it. And I, all I can think of is Westerns. Like, here, give me a right. swig, wi- swig so of whiskey. Well, they and, pull out a hacksaw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Jesse recalled later in life that the wound bled for days. Ugh. He said of this, my body was emptying of blood. He's probably just a hair away from death. He yeah. said that uh, it took three days for the bleeding to stop oh. from this gaping hole in his oh. chest. Uh, so he attended school in Oakville, but was not there long enough to learn because he spent a lot of his own time, ta- his time out in the fields, turning, uh, running barefoot because he loved it. And there was nothing else for him to do is what it said. And he enjoyed it because it was something he was able to do all by himself. So it didn't seem like he was like much of a people person or like a team related individual. That gave him a sense of empowerment and freedom. Yeah. And when, he probably felt essentially powerless and imprisoned much of his life for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just, just situational reasons, health reasons, everything. You yeah. Know, that gave him at least a sense of his own his own worth, I'd imagine. So after moving to Ohio, Owens would go on to attend East Technical High School. He set records in the 100 and 200 yard dashes as well as the long jump. He became a nationally recognized sprinter and long jumper. He worked several different jobs in his spare time delivering groceries, loading freight cars, and working in a shoe repair shop. Hmm. Owens attributed the success he was having in high school from an athletic standpoint to the encouragement he received from his junior high track coach at Fairmont Junior High, Mr. Charles Riley. Riley put Owens on the track team. Uh, Because Owens worked after school... At the shoe repair store, Mr. Riley allowed him to practice before school. So can you imagine this, like, him taking time out of his schedule to allow this athlete to to, to even practice before school? Yeah. I mean, you were you were a coach, right? Right. I mean, driven. He's, he's working to practice, essentially, mm-hmm. and going to school. So so let, let's take a look at this from the, uh, the coach's standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay. So me being – let's say I'm the athlete. You're the coach, okay, because you're a coach – and I, I'm just like, hey, coach, I, I don't have the, the time to do this at the work because I'm working after school because I'm working. So so if I say to you, can we do this before school? Like, what, what's your take on this? Well, I'd say uh, let's uh, no, you know, we'll, we'll just work it and you practice when you can. Or mm-hmm. why don't you work less? So we'll, we'll figure something out. Mm-hmm. You know that, you know, you kind of work around it and understanding that some. Some kids are having to work, you know, so yeah. very accommodating. It's a little different time. You know, having coached myself, uh, I feel like this he, he's going out of his way to help Jesse yeah. be a better athlete and to work with his schedule. Yeah, he recognized something. Yeah. And then in the night, so then moving forward to 1933 National High School Championship in Chicago, Owens did the following. He equaled the world record in the 100-yard dash of 9.4 seconds. The dude's flying. That that's flying for, and that and that's at that point he's what late teens. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean that's insane. He also equaled the world record in the long jump of 24 feet nine and a half inches. I mean, yeah, and just not even specializing in one event. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's even more insane to think. Dude, about. I can't even jump a foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm old too. Yeah, <laughs> um, because of his success on the track and. A number of a number of universities took interest in him and began to recruit him. He decided to attend Ohio State University. While he was there, una- he was unable or permitted to live on campus with the white athletes. Right. You know, we're still talking. We're talking segregation in the South. But we're talking segregation in the mid in, in the Midwest. And 
really, uh, even though legal segregation didn't quote unquote exist in the Midwest and in, in the West, there was still actual segregation everywhere. Yeah. The, the rules were the rules. Yeah, even though there was a, a, a law or something against it, didn't mean it stopped. Right. right. It, it, it we it was truly we were truly a segregated society in in the in the twenties and thirties. Yes. And, and yeah, absolutely. And he he went uh, when the team traveled. Owens was more often than uh, not forced to uh, eat in African American sections of restaurants, and to also stay in hotels that would accept black people. You know, if he if he was friends or competed on a team with with any anybody of a different race, uh, the 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 teammate aspect stopped when it was dinner time or time to go to sleep. Yes, just kind of interesting to think about. And and let's also throw this you know wrench into this. He was not even on a scholarship while he was there. So can you know can you imagine like having to deal with all of this, doing something that you really enjoy? Being very good at it, but not having a scholarship. Paying for your education at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Puts it into perspective. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to show what he went through, not only like as a, as a person of color, but also as an athlete and as somebody who was working their way because they didn't have a scholarship through school. Yeah, amazing. So on May 25th, 1935, at the Big Ten track and field meet, Owens tied one world record and set three new ones. Yeah, he just kept going. Mm-hmm. He, he, he pushed did, himself. He did this as a freshman with a sore back for which he sustained from a fall earlier in the week. Hmm. He did all of this within a 45-minute span of time. Oof. I mean, think about this. He tied one world record and he set three new ones in 45 minutes. So he was doing something every 10 minutes. Almost. Yeah, the stamina, the, 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 the perseverance and the, the kind of uh, endurance to the pain and the tolerance. It's just un- unbelievable. Yeah, I run upstairs to get a beer. I'm out of breath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like I probably pull a hammy or something. <laughs> Medic! I <laughs> know, yeah, Dave, ice pack. <laughs> Stop paddles. Yeah. Um so first he tied the 100-yard dash, then he broke the long jump record by almost six inches. That's in in terms of track and field. That's a mile, might as well be a mile. I mean, yes, yeah. that's, that's a huge length. Exactly. Then he went on and set new records in the 220-yard dash and the 220-yard low hurdles. Quite an accomplishment. Yep. In 1936, Owens competed in the Olympics in Berlin, Germany. Adolf Hitler, the Chancellor of Germany, who we all should know from history and lessons, hoped to use the Olympics to prove that the Aryan race was superior to all others. Owens went on to win four gold medals and set or helped to set four Olympic records. He competed in the 100-meter dash, the 200-meter dash, the broad jump, and the 400-meter relay. He was the first American track and field athlete to win four gold medals in a single Olympics. By the end of the competition, even German fans were celebrating Owens' accomplishments. And that last statement is insane to think about. You're thinking about Germany in 1936. Mm -hmm. For them to celebrate that, I mean, that is unbelievable. Yeah, and they were they were essentially on the brink of war in all of Europe at that time. 
they're, they're, they're going against their entire social conditioning, their entire kind of racial indoctrination. The white and, superior and, race. And their, their humani- humanity and support for an athletic, athletic accomplishments is kind of coming through and, and they, without, without being controlled. And that's, yeah. that's the purity of humanity right there. Exactly. In 1935, Owens went on to marry his high school sweetheart. He left school at Ohio State during his senior year to go work and provide for his family. Which is, you know, it's interesting. He's he's a he's an international icon and he's still on his own financially. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and yeah. struggling to pay the bills. It, yeah, and pay for college. Right. But puts puts things into context a little bit, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of perspective and athletes and endorsements and salaries now. Y- exactly. Um, and, and so he it, during this time, people were actually paying him, Owens, to race them. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I can see that because he'd be like, oh, can, you know, can I beat this guy? Right. And in a head-to-head he had to matchup. make money somehow. Yeah. You know, and it, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't the fact that, you know, he was shameless, a shameless self-promoter at all. He actually just needed to make money. I mean, yeah. And then this next thing, you know, you talk about needing to make money. Um I'm actually, I'm actually kind of sad to to even say this, but and even to read it, but he was paid to race horses and motorcycles. <laughs> That's insane to think about. Can can you can you? I don't think that I would necessarily go and right. be paid to like race a horse, but you know, I I feel like in my mind he had to do what he had right. to do. The the easy knee jerk reaction would be, oh well, where's his pride? Where's his dignity? But that's an absolutely ridiculous response. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when you've had the upbringing and and the the desperation and and come up in the family situation and you've got a family, it's, it's do do what it takes to survive, yeah. and help your family thrive. So, I mean kudos to him for doing what he had to do yeah because we're um, and, both family guys and it, it, it's it's yeah. a condemnation of society mm-hmm. at the time it really is a condemnation of the society time but you know what kudos to, kudos to jesse owens for yeah you know doing what he had to do you know and then we and i brought this up like in the vaughn street because you talked about you know jesse owens being there and it's like well yeah i read this thing that he raced horses so it it, it said that for a period of time the negro baseball league Hired Owens to race horses before games. It's like a promotional th- a promotional yeah. deal. It's like we got this Olympic athlete. Attendance draw. Yeah. 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 He later went on to open his own public relations firm. In 1946, Owens, uh, he ended up owning the Portland Rosebuds. And, and this is where this 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 Portland connection comes in. And this we, we talked about this a little mm-hmm. earlier in terms of his interest in baseball and, and just his connection. So... Yeah, and, and what I did find out is is that prior to 1946, he actually had some interest in another uh, Negro League baseball team, but that had just completely like flopped. And that at this point, he wanted and was adamant about being successful at you know making this team and, and being a part of something special. Yeah, and we're talking about a time before, obviously. Uh, the Negro Leagues were a popular draw before the color barrier had been broken in Major League Baseball. So, again, there are limited opportunities. Yeah. 
And at um, this time, it was like, you know, they had the, they had the Negro League baseball teams like the Kansas City Monarchs mm-hmm. and, and the, the Grays and so on. So you had these... these Major League major, caliber players. Exactly. Yeah, that are playing in their own league, like, essentially. Yeah, Satchel Paige, Satchel Paige uh, yeah. Jackie Robinson. Um, there's another... Oh, the, the catcher there. Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson, yeah. You know, I'd read uh, something that said that Josh Gibson had more home runs in his career than uh, Babe Ruth. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, just an absolute talent. And, and again, had some of these guys been born, say, 10, 15 years later, who knows where they'd be in history, you know, documented history. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so moving back, so Port, the Portland Rosebuds, so they ended up playing at, well, you know, we talked about Vaughn Street Park. They they were playing there. And, and I think they were maybe, I think the first game they drew like 1,400 people or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were part of what was called the West Coast Baseball Association, which was an all-black league headed by Al Saperstein, the owner of the Harlem Gold Charters, and also... And you know, and Owens also founded the this baseball association yeah. out west. Um, he considered uh, it was considered minor league. Uh, did not compete for talent with the Negro National or American League. So, so it was, but it wasn't. There wasn't necessarily affiliated, and it wasn't was it necessarily a stepping stone. It was just its own deal. Essentially, yeah. they created it to it actually. Independent. Com- it was an independent, exactly to compete with. The other leagues okay. that are out there. Uh, so there was one, two, three, four, four. There's six teams. The Los Angeles White Sox, Oakland Larks, Portland Rosebuds, San Diego Tigers, San Francisco Sea Lions, and Seattle Steelheads. Oh, there's that Steelhead. Steelheads, yeah. Um, the Rosebuds played in uh, Seattle on opening day, May 12th, 1946, at uh, Audley Field in El Paso, Texas. Hmm. It was followed by two more days of games in El Paso and nearby uh, Juarez. The league disbanded after two months. The team was commonly referred to as the Portland Roses. There we go. Their first game at Vaughn Street Park against the L.A. White Sox drew a crowd of 1,500 onlookers. The stadium, according to uh, our uh, episode on the park itself, uh, by this time had 12,000 seats. So mm-hmm. they've expanded 1500 people. There's 12,000 seats. So, I mean, it was kind of actually significant compared considering the time yeah. and that it's, you know, it's Negro league baseball. Yeah. We're talking about the great depression as well. Yes. So yeah. Um, prior to the game, Owens ran and jumped hurdles around the diamond. So he's, he's the owner and he's, and he's running hurdles around the diamond. Yeah. To promote it. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm assuming that, they had that significant crowd at the time. One because Jesse Owens was yeah. there. I think the name draw itself was important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oren, Owens recruited experienced players like Al Jones from the Memphis Red Sox, Collins Jones of the Birmingham Black Barons, Blue Dunn from the Miami Ethiopian Clowns. <laughs> That's an interesting yeah. name. Of note, in 1936, Owens last. Lost $25,000, which is equivalent of $453,000 today, promoting another league team, like another Negro league team, like I that's, described. That's a lot of money to lose. Yeah. As such, he's, like I said, he's determined to make this, this work. Yeah. Um, by the end of June, Portland was in second place. The Oregonian noted the Roses have hit their stride and figure to be strong contenders for the 
Luke title. So I wonder how much press coverage they were actually getting. They weren't getting a lot. I mean, I, I, I looked. I looked and looked and looked at some old records. Uh-huh. Uh, thank you, University of Oregon, for having a plethora of uh, old newspapers online. I searched for several, several hours. And I can tell you, you can even do a word search. And I just I couldn't find anything. Hmm. Okay. I, the only thing that I found was the an old like, hockey league team that was called the Portland Rosebuds, but that was like in the early 1900s. But we're looking at the mid 1900s at this time, and there was there was nothing. Hmm. So it just goes to show they had other baseball, but they didn't have this particular team. Uh, so, anyways, attendance struggled along with the news coverage. Uh, by July, the league and the Roses collapsed. Um, some blame the league's demise on that of the rise of African Americans in baseball. You know, at that time, you know, they were getting ready to get Jackie Robinson in yeah. with the Dodgers, which he went through the minor league system. But, uh, you know, there was more interest in having, um, you know, Negro League players into the main, into the right, national, which would essentially and, yeah. adro- destroy these, these small leagues. Yeah. And, yeah. and would be the demise of the Negro yeah. League baseball itself. Mm-hmm. Um, a year later, Jackie Robinson was approached by Bud Dickey, owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, to play professional baseball with them. Owens, in 1965, went on to become the running coach for the New York Mets. He passed away in 1980. President Carter said of, said this of Owens, Perhaps no athlete better symbolized the human struggle against tyranny, poverty, and racial bigotry. Powerful figure. So there's there's your Portland connection and and a little uh, historical significance uh, with the great the late great Jesse Owens mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of appreciate maybe what he brought yeah. to to kind of the, the history what he brought to uh, the city of Portland in the area yeah and this isn't this isn't the only time somebody famous per se you know came to Portland to start a team. You know, we have in our previous episode, we talked about Bing Russell. Yeah, the actor. The yeah. actor and mm-hmm. talking about the Portland Mavericks. Are we seeing it? Like, this well, is a trend here. You well, have. The trend is the trend is this city. I mean, it that's is. what we're seeing. People we're, love. I mean, people love Portland. I mean, this. So it's an attractive place. One of the things really listeners. Is. Yeah. One of the things listeners have been telling me is like, OK, so how does this translate into now? OK, well, how this translates really interesting. So. You've had Jesse Owens, who's really famous at his time, bringing this. Then 40 years later, or 30 years later, you have Bing Russell. Okay, flash forward. Bing Russell, is he left in 1977, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Okay, Late so we're, we're now 2018. So we're about 40 years later. Mr. Russell Wilson, quarterback, Seattle Seahawks. And his is, wife, Ciara. And his wife are actively involved with bringing Major League Baseball to yeah. Oregon. Sometimes it takes takes some of those big timers. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, while Jesse wasn't successful, I mean, he was definitely up against a lot at this right. time. The, the obstacles were. Bing was successful, but then in the end, his demise came that big baseball didn't want an independent league right. here. And then now Monopolies we're at a point. And resentment, right? Yeah. So now we're at a point. Is this the time? In all honesty, this is where this comes back. Is this the time now that we finally go over the hump and reach, which is now in the end, a success, which would be professional 
baseball at the major league level. Yeah, well, and that's our rhetorical question, which you obviously know what what our answer is to that rhetorical question. Um, uh, and, and again, kind of just looking at looking at the viability of it and and how Portland's demographic, its population, its growth, its its resources. So you know our answer to that that question. And I think that answer to that question is yes, we really do think that now is the time. It is. Um, but with all this said, this was really interesting. And it, again, I'm continuing to learn more about the deep, rich history of baseball in Oregon, um, about the people that have been a part of this. Yeah. I mean, whether you're a fan of the game or a fan of history or just a fan of the Pacific Northwest, you know, this this journey is for you. I mean, this is this is a. Uh, this is kind of a, you know, kind of lit my fire a little bit um, and, and made me a little bit of a historian and made me appreciate, kind of appreciate where we are now. You know, every yeah. episode I appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. And I, again, I think that we're able to relate back to some of our older episodes that we've done. Yeah. And, I love those connections. And how, yeah. And how this is all connecting within itself. And um, speaking of a previous episode, we just did. Uh, you know, we just finished up our ones on Frank Peters. Oh. I, I just want to say personally, that was f- so much fun. Yeah, he's a great interview, great guy. That was a that was a fantastic yeah. time. And I learned so much. I mean, I, I keep texting you and saying how much I laughed at listening to some of the things that he had to say in like this previous episode that was released and about like, I, you know, I'm young, I have my life in front of me back off off the plate i don't want this ball to go through me it's not worth it it's not worth it yeah i'm looking forward to more interviews uh i think that 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 brings everything to life so i'm really looking forward to that yes and we will have some of those on the horizon but um for this episode i think that that's gonna close it out and i I really appreciate you listening and uh please go ahead find us on facebook at at uh, Diamonds and Roses podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at DR Podcast PDX. You can also find us on Twitter at uh, Ro- Podcast Roses. You know, just look for us. Type us in Google and look for yeah. Diamonds and Roses podcast. I, that's what I'm having a lot of people do. They just I just say go to Google and type in Diamonds and Roses podcast, and you'll find it from there. Yeah, and we're found on all platforms uh, for for the podcast itself. And, and we would appreciate if you click real click review and rate us because we learn from you yeah really appreciate your listening appreciate your support spread the word all right thank you dave appreciate you coming on the show and appreciate you working with me on this thanks man all right have a great day peace out